0: Teach me about the Great Lakes. Teach me about the Great Lakes. Welcome back to Teach Me About the Great Lakes, a twice monthly podcast in which I, a Great Lakes novice, ask people who are smarter and harder working than I am to teach me all about the Great Lakes. My name is Stuart Carlton, and I work with Illinois Indiana Sea Grant, and I know a lot about driving two and a half hours for what ended up being a 20-minute tour, but I don't know a lot about the Great Lakes. I'm joined today by a Carolyn Foley, our awesome, our amazing, our super-duper research coordinator. Carolyn, what's up? Not much. Um hoping my audio holds together today. I'm hoping everything holds together. Uh, it's not just your audio. It's late in the year. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's that end of semester time. So you get the end of the year, like the normal end of the year. You get the end of the semester. There's a lot of in-laws, and uh, we're all just trying to keep it together. But, but you also get... That's right! We were thinking of the same segue, which is what happens like 50 episodes in. You also get the most wonderful time of the year, and that is Fishmas. That's right. Every December throughout the Great Lakes and throughout, really, the entire fish world, uh, we all uh, turn our thoughts inward and uh, celebrate the most wonderful time, which is Fishmas. And, and I cannot even believe this is happening. I mean, I can't believe it, but I'm very excited anyway. And that is, we have, um, uh, Miss, soon to be Dr. Miss Fish Miss herself. Katie O'Reilly is joining us today. Um, and, and so we're excited about that. And we're also gonna be joined by, um, Mr. Dr. Fish, uh, uh, Titus Alheimer. And we're gonna, we're gonna do something really cool. We're gonna draft Great Lakes fish. It's gonna be super fun. But before we do,
1: before we do, before we go to whatever you're going to do, we're going to clarify that Titus is Dr. Fish SG on Twitter, a social media magnate in his own right. So that's why uh, I was going to
0: I was gonna ask him to clarify that. But yeah, we're, we're going to talk about that. He's number 10 with the completely legit and not at all. Sketchy rankings um, of Great Lakes Influencers on social media that have me on there Twice even though my Twitter feed is nothing but Dad jokes and complaining about my kids Um, But we're going to get to that Um, But before we get to that Actually, you know what? Uh, It's not exactly appropriate But it's been a bit and they both do research So we're going to go with this Researcher Feature a feature in which a researcher gonna teach us about the Great Lakes. Gotta bring out the big dogs for the special guest. Alright. We are joined today by uh, Katie O'Reilly. Katie is a doctoral candidate at Notre Dame in the Department of Biological Sciences, and we are so pumped to have her on. How's it going today, Katie? It is
2: going great, Stuart. I am so excited to be here in the height of Fishness season talking to you guys about Great Lakes Fish.
0: Oh, we are so excited to have you. We're also joined by uh, Dr. Titus Seilheimer. He is the fishery specialist uh, with our colleagues at Wisconsin Sea Grant, also home of the Introduce podcast. Titus, how's it
3: going? Doing great. I'm surrounded by fish. Living life to its fullest.
0: Living life to its fullest. I agree with that. Um, anyway, two of my heroes are on the podcast today, so I'm super fired up. So Katie, let's talk about Fishmas before we get drafted. I mean, while we want to get drafted. I got a list of fish, um, and I'm just going to just gonna win yet another draft. But before we get there, uh, tell me about Fishmas. What is the deal with this?
2: Yeah, so 2016, I saw a poster from Wisconsin Sea Grant, thank you Titus, that Basically had a bunch of different Great Lakes fish species on it, and it reminded me a bit of an advent calendar. You know, the ones where you pop up in a door each day in December, you get a piece of candy. But thought to myself, "Hmm, what if instead of candy, each day in December you got facts about fish? And from that very random, silly idea, spawned something that has now come into its sixth year of talking about, you know, the Great Lakes fish, what they are, and what they mean to the people of the Great Lakes region.
3: Fish Facts, so much better than candy. So much better.
0: It's a clean protein, unlike well, not not every fish you talk about is a clean protein, I suppose. But yeah, no, that's great. And so it really is. It's become like this whole thing in and of itself, and it's it's an amazing piece of outreach in that it's different, it's fun, it's bite sized, like a little a bite of fish. But it's really, I learn something every day. Uh, so I follow you on Twitter, and people join in the fish miss fun, and uh, you know, it's it's super fun to read. Um, and it it's it's the fun part of social media, generally speaking. I mean, you still get the the, the dudes explaining to you things you already know. But, but, but um, uh, it's, it's really fun.
2: And it really is like the best of, you know, communicating with people because it's not just scientists talking among themselves. We reach, you know, people who are just interested in the Great Lakes kind of, you know, that live in the region. People who, you know, don't even live in the region are just like, oh, these are cool fish. Um, and the fact that it's grown beyond the Great Lakes has just introduced a lot of people to fish species across the world, which is super cool.
0: It's a lot of fun. Well, we can't wait to, to get right into it. Um, and so, uh, Titus, real quick, though. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do with Wisconsin
3: Sea Grant? Well, I am, as a fishery specialist, uh, I do a lot of different stuff, um, including, you know, spending time on Twitter, uh, 25 Days of Fishmas. Um, I really enjoy, you know, Katie, Katie does the work, and then I get to, like, throw in facts, too. So I hope I'm not one of those dudes explaining things. So lots of fun there, but, uh, really I get to, I've, I ride on commercial fishing boats. I work with a lot of different fishery stakeholders up here in Wisconsin, uh, who catch fish out on, on the great lakes. So whether it's recreational charter commercial, I've got a lot of fish and a lot of things to work on. Yeah, that's
0: cool. One of the great things about working at Sea Grant is, you know, we have all these local issues where we're connected to the larger network because there's a Sea Grant program in every coastal and Great Lakes state, basically. And, and like, there are treasures within the Sea Grant program. Like, most people we work with are awesome, but some people are our treasures and 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 Titus you're definitely one of those um and the work you do is just just awesome super fun to follow on on social media super fun to be in groups with and stuff like that so super pumped but that's enough of that um because now we must turn to the work at hand which is we are going to draft fish um great lakes fish so this is this is the and so w- let me run down the rules real quick we're going to have three rounds uh, I have used a custom R script that I wrote just for this uh, to pick the draft order. Um, a lot of work. I had not intern to do it. And um, anyway, and, and so we're, we're, we're going to go uh, top to bottom. If you're familiar with drafts, we are not going to go snake style. So uh, whoever picks first, picks first in every round. And um, what we'll do is we'll pick a fish and once it's taken off the board, you can no one else can pick it. So if you have anything to chime in you know about that fish, uh, the time to do it will be after somebody picks it. Um, and then, we will end the podcast and i will call declare myself the winner so that's uh, pretty much how it's gonna go <laughs> it's nice
1: that you're honest that way
0: yeah uh let's see let me fire up my random r script okay it just spit out three names i always go last as your gracious host um the first name that i i spit out oh carolyn foley um and so when you go so carolyn we know Titus is and um and Katie's uh, uh, bona fides. Uh, so, Carolyn, before you go, um, uh, let us know your fish bona fides uh, if you don't mind.
1: So, I actually don't think I have fish bona fides. The way I got my job in a fish lab was knowing about aquatic invertebrates because people care about aquatic invertebrates because fish eat them. So, um, those are my bona fides. That's good enough for teaching me about the Great Lakes. <laughs> I am super excited, though, because there is one fish that I absolutely adore. And I figured there was no way I would get to pick it, but because I'm first, Lake Sturgeon.
0: Yeah, yeah. The obvious no question coming off the board first pitch. Tell us about Lake Sturgeon, Carolyn. Why are they so cool?
1: They are an amazing... I mean, Titus and Katie will know way more than me, so I will defer to them in a moment. But basically... They're an ancient fish. They've been around for a really long time. They are important to the Great Lakes fisheries, to the ecosystem, to the cultures who have surrounded the Great Lakes for long before European settlement. Um, They have these, they just look really cool. And I got to help release some in a a tributary a couple years ago, and they look just as cool when they're little. My other cool Lake Sturgeon kind of story is... um, couple of years ago i think titus was there actually we were at lake superior state university where they have like a hatchery program and they had Stuart, Stuart, you may have been there too and we got to see a lake sturgeon that they were rearing and like the grad students or sorry undergrad students freshmen if you're in the u.s um first year students if you're in canada um the the man who who ran the facility said yeah that fish is older than the students who look after them so that was crazy cool okay Titus and Katie, hit them with the better facts.
2: I was going to say, Titus, you want to go first? Because I'll just start spitting random stuff out.
3: (laughs) Well, I I will go Wisconsin specific. So uh, Wisconsin is home to the Lake Winnebago system, Lake Sturgeon population, which is the largest population of uh, Lake Sturgeon in the world. And really, I'd say the best managed. Um, You know, there is a annual every year. Come on up to Lake Winnebago in Wisconsin when February rolls around for our ice fishing, ice spearing season for lake sturgeon. So this is because we have such a large population, uh, because it's been valued as uh, this great sport fishery for years. Uh, it's really been well managed. So there are a lot of fish in the system, and it's you know continues to be well managed. There's you know specific numbers of males and females that can be harvested. And if they hit those quotas season's closed
0: how do you how do you tell uh how do you tell when you harvest a sturgeon? i mean are they um external if you know what i'm getting at uh what's the deal how do you yeah
3: well in general with sturgeon uh bigger fish are females so if it's a really big sturgeon it's probably a female um and once they are harvested and because it's a spear fishery you know you you harvest a fish and that's it there's no catch and release with the spear fishing Uh, fishery so they then every fish is checked in by a state biologist they check for the the gender they collect information on all these fish so you know not only is there this fishery but there's also a lot of uh a lot of data collected every year too so always fun to go out there and you get to see the fish when they're checked in so if you don't mind dead fish
0: all right, we're gonna put a link in the show notes. Yeah. No, well, I mean, as we talked about before, you have to have a comfort level with dead fish. We talked about rotenone sampling a couple weeks ago, so we, yeah. Anyway, uh, so so are the bigger ones female? Is that just because they grow bigger? Or is it are it a uh, so like snook in uh you know the Gulf of Mexico? They are sequential hermaphrodites, are sturgeon that way, or is it just the females grow bigger? Uh,
3: females just grow bigger. Uh, you know, eggs are a bigger uh investment so they have you know just the space i think to have that many eggs because you know part of the the fishery and harvesting these is that caviar you know you've heard of sturgeon caviar beluga caviar over in russia here it's you know it's like sturgeon caviar and that's uh something that you can't sell but you can uh take it and have it have it made and then enjoy it uh with with your friends i got to taste it once because uh, uh one of the DNR wardens that I knew had harvested a fish and he had some caviar with him at a great lakes fishery uh, commission meeting. And so why not? You know, it's a legal fish then.
2: And I, yeah, I just want to pop in with one uh, lake sturgeon story. As as has been said, these guys are large and in charge, uh, particularly the girls. But what was really cool is this past spring, 2021, uh, the U S fish and wildlife service caught a sturgeon in the Detroit river that weighed, I believe, 240 pounds. It it was funny because the one Fish and Wildlife Service uh, person took a picture like lying next to it. And this was like seven feet long. And I think the interesting fact that was pointed out there is that fish, well, they didn't age it using otoliths because they released it back into the the river. Uh, It's possible it could have been 100 years old and maybe like the comparison that was made is it could have be older than the ambassador bridge linking Detroit and, and Windsor. And to me, that just like blew my mind. Like this is a fish that's that old. So they're, they're super cool. And I'm super jealous that Carolyn picked such an awesome fish.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I had a feeling that might go first. I was happy for Carolyn. When she got first that uh, story, actually a Lakey nominee. Now that you mentioned it um, FYI, the, the huge surgeon. All right. Uh, second up, second up Katie O'Reilly, Katie, what is your first round pick? So
2: I'm going to steal Titus's thunder, I think, with this one. But uh, as a wetland ecologist, one of the top predators in Great Lakes coastal wetlands is the illustrious bofin, uh, which is an awesome sort of what we call a primitive fish. And I think it, it deserves to be near the top of the draft because it can breathe both in the water and in the air. And Titus has an excellent example right there. I mean these guys are so cool they even turn like bright green during the males do during spawning season i i just i can't i can't talk about how cool enough they are
0: and for those of you at home since this is an audio medium titus was holding up it looked like some sort of large decal or maybe a truck magnet um uh of, of sturgeon maybe a poster it's, it's very lifelike it is very green
3: so actually if i can plug our our a Fishopedia, which is uh, available from our Wisconsin Water Library, this is a uh, actually a vinyl uh, vinyl fish print that uh, comes as a in a, a set. It's there's some curriculum in there, and we've got some of our great kind of fish all stars as well.
0: There you go. You you can yeah. In fact, we'll put a link to that in the show notes at uh, teachmeaboutthegreatlakes dot slash forty six, the number forty six, because this is episode forty six. Yeah, both bowfin are cool. In Louisiana, they call them Shoopick. Kind of in the Cajun country, Uh, C-H-O-U-P-I-Q-U-E, I I think, not that spelling is particularly important (laughs) in in Cajun as a language. Um, But yeah, very cool fish. Uh, Carolyn, you're from Canada. Any shoe pick facts for you?
1: Uh, I don't know if I have any shoe pick facts. My favorite story about them, though, is one time um, we were fishing with fike nets and um, a beaver had gotten in. And the, like, so there was a huge hole. The only fish we caught in like a 48 hour set or whatever was this teeny tiny bofin that was all rainbow colored. It was gorgeous. And it was, you know, we didn't have to empty out a big net. There were no turtles. It was bad for data collection, but there were some cool things about it. I think that was in a wetland over on Lake Ontario, if I remember right. But
0: yeah. Uh, excellent. Third up is uh, Titus. Titus, what's up with your fish? Pick number one.
3: All right, well, I am going to go with another Great Lakes underdog, and that is going to be the burbot. No! Oh,
0: no! oh. oh nice
3: job.
2: Nice
0: job. <laughs> okay, and uh, we have our first confirmed sniping. All right, you talk about the burbot while I do some quick research on a different fish. Um, Tell about the burbot.
3: All right, burbot. Uh, this is the uh, only freshwater member of the cod family. So if you like cod... Uh, burbot might be the uh, the fish for you. There are also uh, common names, lots of different common names. Eelpoot, um, if you've heard of Eelpoot Fest in Minnesota. Uh, here in Wisconsin, uh, you might see lawyers on the menu. And what are those? Those are burbot. Uh, why, are they, why are they called lawyers? Well, uh, they are slimy and they can really <laughs> twist around. And uh, I'm not saying that's why, but I'm just pointing out some facts about burbot here.
0: What do you call 10 burbots in the uh, bottom of Lake Superior? Uh,
3: not enough lawyers. A, a good
0: start. That's the old lady <laughs> joke. I mean, my, my father and wife are, are attorneys, and I thought I would be an attorney um, until I met my father and wife, I guess. Um, yes, burbot, also known as liverfish. It turns out they're liver. I just found this out. Six times the size of like a, a normal fish, uh, you know, like that, six times as big as you would expect it to be. Um, and then the little line I wrote down that I wanted to make sure I, I said was, um, that's so they can drink like a fish, right? Uh, with that big liver. Um, but uh, let's see, what else? They're supposed to be good. Have you, have you eaten a bourbon? I, now, there's a lot of way to relate to fish. We focus on eating them because Titus is just a madman. He'll eat anything uh, fish-wise. But uh, uh, have you had bourbon with the firm white flesh that's supposed to be poor man's lobster, according to the article I read on your website, I think?
3: oh yes uh it is it is a delicious fish uh you know i have i've spending time with uh with the commercial fishermen on lake michigan uh you know the the guys i was working with they don't catch a lot of burbot there's not really a market but they tend to keep them and take them home to eat themselves so you know when when you're catching fish for a living and this is a fish you want to eat um that's a good sign the kind of loins the back muscle along the spine there's kind of Uh, taking those out, uh, they're boneless, cut them into little kind of discs. You can deep fry them. There's a a, on the Freshwater Feasts of uh, Michigan Sea Grants website, uh, check out my recipe for deep fried uh, uh, burbot. Um, It's a good way to eat them. But if you want to go basic, you cut them into little medallions. You boil them. Uh, Just like you're cooking a lobster, you got a little dish of melted butter. You got your boiled burbot dip it in there you eat it it's delicious and that and that is why uh a lot of people don't know this but the uh lobster is actually referred to as the poor man's bourbon so
0: there we go that's right (laughs) tulane university where i went was uh harvard is known as the tulane of the north that's what we used to say there um Good. Now there's one more burbit fact that must come out. um, And and maybe you know this. And this is apparently, this is some research that came out in the Journal of Great Lakes Research in 2014, which definitely would have won the the lakey, had there been lakeys then. They uh, sing during spawning, so they gather in the winter and they spawn on the, the bottom of the uh, the lake or whatever and they make this drumming sound and it, I mean, it sounds like a fish spawning, not gonna lie and it's got like a certain rhythm to it. I'm not gonna play it because this is a family podcast and once you've heard it, there's no mistake in what's happening. But um, the, the male uh, burbits sing during spawning, so that's something that you know, we share in common, I suppose.
3: And actually that, that sound is the, they actually vibrate muscles on their swim bladders to create that sound, which is you know pretty cool. It's like having a, having a musical instrument in your body.
0: And that brings me to my first, first round pick. This is one of my backups. Um, and this is one because, uh, uh, you know, the shtick on this is um, I'm from the Gulf South and it's true. And I grew up fishing, you know, uh, uh, several times, uh, uh, once or twice a month, at least with my dad in the Gulf. And um, we would go fishing for fish in the cyanidae family or cyanids, most notably the sea trout, or we call them speckled trout, um, and, and the redfish, as well, we call them red drum. Um, they are drums, and in the Great Lakes, you can also find a freshwater drum which is common there and they're you know, this is not a rare fish. It's not even that interesting other than it is the only cyanid that is uh, in the Great Lakes. Um, and so it is meaningful to me or in freshwater, I think, for that matter. And so it's important to me because those are the fish I grew up for. And, and a big chunk of why I do what I do is uh, because of all those fishing trips. And so to know that, you know, there is a cyanid nearby, uh, I think is is good. Um and important and so uh um it gives me just a little bit of warmth in my heart and and a lot of the the cyanids they're the drum family a lot of them will make drumming noises too not gonna lie I don't know if freshwater drum do uh trout do it rarely redfish some uh um the the black drum which and you can get you know get uh you know feet 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 long um you can hear them drumming during their spawning time in the in the south and that's notable um so freshwater drum
2: I'm gonna take umbridge I think they are super interesting Stuart. Uh, (laughs) So I one of one of the things that's really interesting about freshwater drums, is, yes, they do make sounds. Um, and two, they have these like huge otoliths. So otoliths are the uh, ear bones of fish. And we use them a lot in fishery scientists, to like age, how old the fish is, because it's kind of like uh tree rings. You can count the rings. But these guys. So most otoliths are pretty small, but like freshwater drums have otoliths that are no lie, the size of quarters. And they're actually called lucky stones. And people collect them on Great Lakes beaches. So like they'll go, you know, we don't have a ton of shells other than like paga and mussel or zebra mussel shells, but people go collect lucky, lucky stones off the beaches.
0: Really? I had no idea. Are are they easier to cut than So so yeah, I used to do marine fisheries biology. We had to cut otoliths from fish bones, and I sucked at it. Like, they, I rapidly got moved off that duty and onto uh, answering the phone. But um, are, are they easier to cut because they're bigger or, or or not? So you have to like cross section them or something, and and yeah.
2: Yeah. So I I'll be honest. I've not done much aging of their otoliths. Usually we take them out and just admire them. Um, I don't know, Titus, have you done any freshwater drum aging?
3: I have not, but I know they can get pretty old as fish. And yeah. Interesting. Sheep's okay. head. Sheep's head is the other uh, common name that we.
0: Uh, really? So that's a different fish in the. Uh, I'm thinking of the saltwater fish called a sheep's head. So this is different. Interesting, interesting, interesting. interesting.
3: And also a card game, uh, regional really? card game up here, too.
0: A regional card game. Yeah. Look at this. Just a well of. You know what? Actually, what the heck? Hold on one second. No, I won't do it. Yes, I will. It's a Great Lakes <laughs> factoid. <laughs> a Great Lakes <laughs> factoid. It's a great <laughs> factoid about the Great Lakes. Cha. Today's Great Lakes factoid is there is a regional card game called Sheep's Head, which is also one of the many names for the freshwater drum, a fish that is fascinating because of the size of its otoliths. All right, great. Uh, that is round one in the books. Let me make sure I write down all the, uh, the picks. We have Sturgeon. We had Bowfin. We had Titus uh, uh, taking Burbit before I could, but then me coming back with the fascinating freshwater drum. Round two. Carolyn, what you got?
1: I'm going to pick round gobies
0: round gobies round gobies. Okay.
1: I know they can be considered a Grinch because they are an invasive species. There is another sticker. Nice. Um, But they are also becoming an increasing, like increasingly important member of the great lakes food webs. They are a source of food for a whole bunch of fish that people care about. Um, And they are, not as cool as any of the fish we picked in the first round, but they do have some cool ecology. So, yep, that's my pick.
0: Round gobies. Excellent. And uh, they're nice and tubular shape too, right?
1: Oh, shoot. I shouldn't have picked round gobies because now you're going to talk about goby dogs.
0: <laughs> that is true. So here's my thought. Um, while you're thinking of your interest in goby facts, is it's an invasive species and, and we want to control these, right? And so I'm thinking, first of all, uh, let me just lay out, a, let me posit two things. One, invasive species, right? Um, and the second thing I will stipulate is is two. Uh, that's huge. The gobies in Eastern Europe, which we learned from um, Iagler Lifetime Achievement Award winner Hank Vanderplu. So here's what I'm thinking. went I mean, three stipulated, thirteen. Chicago famous for hot dogs, right? Um, it's just what they have hot dog stands. There's like a special style. You get your pickle and your celery salt. Um, and and what have you. So I'm thinking goby dogs, right? Um, they're the right shape. You just pluck them, pop them down. I mean, you gotta boil them or whatever, and, and hand them out. What are we thinking?
1: Four, they don't have a swim bladder. They are obligate benthivores. So they're really close to a bunch of the contaminants that are at the bottom of the Great Lakes. So So
0: flavorful is what I'm hearing. I was going to say, adds a little spice. Yeah. So they're bony and flavorful. (laughs) But anyway, so this is my big idea with round gobies. Maybe this will be the first invasive species that we actually eat out of existence um, once my business takes off. Anyway, gobies, what do y'all think? One of
2: the first stories that comes to mind for me with gobies kind of builds off Carolyn um, in that round gobies are in part credited for helping bring back the endangered Lake Erie water snake because it became a major prey item for them. And this was a species that was, you know, really struggling in numbers. But with the advent of, you know, this huge food source, which in some cases is bad because, you know, invasive species, it also helped benefit uh, a native endangered species.
3: You know, one of the things I love about gobies is just uh, that when you are trying to identify fish, um, you know, you got to look at fins, you got to count things like scales, and when you flip that goby over, that pelvic fin is fused, and that is not something that we see in our native fish. So for us in the Great Lakes, it's either the round goby or the tube-nosed goby
0: nice easy fish idea is always good oh and oh rats i forgot so the one thing is with the brown gobies if we take those and we have your goby dogs or whatever we can also take the uh freshwater drum right and fry those up serve them on the side a little bit of uh uh, uh freshwater drumsticks to go with it so that'll be good um that not that good joke copyright 2021 hope charters right. illinois indiana Grant communication coordinator uh great uh pick number two uh, we are going to katie o'reilly your your second pick
2: Ooh, second pick, I'm going to have to go with the silver lamprey, which, despite its name, is not the introduced sea lamprey that everybody kind of knows about and, you know, rightly uh, understands how the the bad impacts it's had. The, the silver lamprey is a native lamprey species that has kind of evolved in uh, tandem with the native species, so it doesn't have the really bad effects of, like, killing tons of fish species, Um and they're just really cute little guys. I mean, they're like, you know, maybe about anywhere from six inches to a foot, um, depending on the
0: size you get. But they're, they're just little little guys just living their lives on the sides of fish. So, so are these like the same size as the sea lamprey? Are they smaller? And so they don't go and latch on to fish. Yeah,
2: these okay. are definitely smaller than the sea lamprey. The sea lamprey can get, I think, to about two feet. Don't quote me on that exactly. But they, in general, the, the sea lamprey are a lot larger than our native species.
3: Yeah, and if you think, you know, a sea lamprey is out in the ocean, it's attaching to, like, sharks and really big fish. And, uh, you know, I have seen silver lamprey attached to sturgeon, and sturgeon are our biggest fish. But, you know, that's that's as big as they get.
0: Awesome. Silver lamprey. Excellent. I'd never heard of it. So uh, I'm learning uh, along with the listener. Um, excellent. Uh, Titus, pick number two.
3: All right. Second fish. Um, I should have been thinking about this more. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, I think I'm going to just go like professionally, like what fish have I spent the most time with in the last couple of years? And that's the lake whitefish, uh, princess of the great lakes, uh, the deer of the great lakes, um, uh, a fish that you could eat every day and never get, uh, never get, uh, tired of. So actually, if you look at my picks so far, it's all stuff that I've eaten, um, and so Lake Whitefish, it is, uh, it's is—it's our kind of commercially caught uh, fish species, uh, most commercially caught in the, the upper Great Lakes, uh, so Huron, Michigan, and Superior. It is uh, in the trout and salmon family. The whitefish are kind of cousins. Uh, so if you're trying to identify it, look for that adipose fin, that little nub of a fin between the, the dorsal fin and the caudal fin. Um, and that's a, a good indicator that you're uh, looking at a, a whitefish or a trout or salmon.
1: And they're also pretty important culturally um, historically. there's some um, people are trying to restore some populations now, right? Like doing some research on early life stages to understand kind of
0: where they've they've run into issues. So good pick, Titus. <laughs> um, oh, Wait, what is that? is that? What was that? I missed it. Titus is, he's just, fish are sailing by my screen. That's,
3: that is, that is my, that is my Lake Whitefish.
0: Right? I didn't realize they had such a humpback like that.
3: How about that? Yeah. So, you know, historically they would have, you know, these like, you know, 50 or a hundred years ago, they got a lot bigger. And, uh, you know, I could, if, if you want to hear about, you know, what's happened to Lake Whitefish, uh, we could talk about that for hours, but, um, you know, generally you don't see that as much anymore, but, you know there used to be very very large lake whitefish out there
0: interesting so for my um my second round pick i'm going to choose a, it's also an invasive another invasive that um and the reason i'm picking it is because i think it tells a really interesting story about the great lakes and sort of the trade offs in different um management and and choices that we can make and so i'm i'm choosing the alewife uh, which uh, was introduced sometime in the 19th century. As far as I can tell, they're not exactly sure when. Um, oh, Titus is holding up a little tiny alewife. Um, and um, uh, they were introduced in Lake Ontario, we think, and then they invaded in the early part of the 20th century um, and, and just like went, went everywhere, um, you know, because the lake trout had collapsed, and so there were no predators, right, to, to predate on the alewives, and so the numbers just exploded. The numbers were so big that like they would uh, fill in like like power plants would have to shut down because the elwives were like up in their water intake valves or whatever I don't know the right terminology um and um but the thing was is that elwives uh, uh so. They were just this huge nuisance, right? Um, because there were just so many alewives, and sometimes they would they would even like die off in huge amounts and like stink up beaches and, and what have you. And this is described really nicely in, in Death and Life of the Great Lakes. And so this led maybe directly, maybe indirectly, uh, to the introduction. Introduction. Some people would say introduction. <laughs> um, some people would say introduce, which you can find at Wisconsin Sea Grant. And uh, but anyway, they uh, they introduced um, uh, uh, salmon, right, um, uh, to eat the alewives, kind of like the old lady who swallowed the fly, and that was. I don't think the only reason he introduced the salmon in fact if you ask Howard Tanner who did it he says he introduced salmon to create a fishery um, but it, it and then alewives went from fish that was a big problem to fish that was really important because it was supporting this uh, very valuable and very fun fishery so uh, the, the alewife is a fascinating fish um, when it comes to human uh, and Great Lake interactions
2: yeah, and I'll just add, I would not have liked to have been on the beach uh during the height of the alewife season, uh, because you can see some historical pictures back from the 60s and early 70s where there's just like piles of dead alewife on Chicago beaches. Um, and I can only imagine how much that must have reeked, but yeah, the good, good thing there's no smell of vision in those pictures.
3: Yeah, I know. I hear from, you know, people who live in Manitowoc and remember those days. Like they, they knew when the wind shifted in the afternoon to the lake breeze because the reek of rotting alewives would suddenly be the smell they were getting off Lake Michigan. So, yeah, night. you know, peak, peak alewife numbers for Lake Michigan, about 90% of all the fish biomass was alewives. So what? nine out of 10 pounds were alewives. And they're not a huge fish, right? Yeah, they're small.
0: No, that's the smallest vinyl cling thing you've, you've flown by our screen by far, I think. Yeah. Um, wow, that's a lot of alewife.
3: Jeez. And, you know, there was, there was also a commercial fishery. So, you know, uh, salmon were stocked for those to eat them um, and to create a fishery. But also there were, uh, you know, a commercial harvest. And for Lake Michigan, it was 50 million pounds in some years were harvested uh, commercially. Really low value, like one to two cents a pound, mainly going to pet food um but you know people found uses for them and then as numbers have come down uh you know now we actually our discussions are like hey we need to protect our alewives wives because they're the food for the salmon and salmon are a fish we value so it's kind of a, a very we've been on both ends of the spectrum yep. here
0: yeah and that's why i think it's so interesting it's just for that reason and and without commenting on what i think is right um it's it's just the it's Trade-offs are right there, right? It is the fulcrum on um, which the trade-offs swing, and so I think that's interesting. Okay, uh, great. Two rounds in the books. Woo! We're getting there. Carolyn Foley, what is your third and final pick?
1: I came into this saying I didn't have fish cred. I know it's a fish draft, but I'm going to draft an extraordinarily important fish food, which are Hexagenia mayflies from, specifically from the western basin of Lake Erie, but from other parts of the Great Lakes too. They are super cool. They are big and like important caloric intake for things. They are also kind of terrifying looking like they have these like long tails and crazy legs and like feathery things. They are also relatively easy to identify and they are just plain awesome. That's when they're in the water and then everybody knows what they do when they come onto shore. They cover everything. People have to sweep them into the lakes and everyone else is like, those are gross. And Carolyn's like, yes. All
0: right. there we go. the the hexogenia mayflies and I'm looking that in the rule book. Heck, You know what? You just send me to me an email. and I'll put in, this, in the show notes. Sounds good. And I'm I'm looking through the rule book here, and you know, there's no. I was going to say, you...
2: can I call a foul on this? We're throwing a yellow flag in.
0: There's no rule you can't <laughs> draft a mayfly during the fish draft. I guess.
3: I was going to say, what what is your real pick now? Yeah, right. I mean hexogenia are great, but. Striped bass.
1: I'm going striped bass because I'm going for the climate change angle that if lakes change and things like that, they may be a fish that people that the Great Lakes could support
0: in the future. There we go. Looking forward with the Carolyn always here for your climate change. Good news. Uh, <laughs> thank you for that. Uh, great. I honestly forgot a new second. Katie, Katie. Second, oh, pick.
2: second pick or third pick, I guess at this point. Or Third
0: pick. Second pick. Third round. Third pick. Don't go back and make the same pick. We already got it. Silver lamprey. Yeah,
2: Going to have to end on a great Great Lakes fish, and that is the long-nose gar. So I already repped one wetland predator, repping another one. Long-nose gar uh, are really cool because they, one, have just like an awesome set of chompers. You were talking about like the, a fish that's mostly its nose and mouth. Um, but they also can breathe in uh, water and air, which allows them to live in places that are really tough for other fish to live, like some of these wetlands. Um, And they're just, they've got like this armor instead of like their scales are essentially like a a suit of armor. And so they're just like a ancient looking prehistoric fish that just likes to hang out in the water and, you know, every now and then snap and get, you know, a nice, a nice fish to snack on. So long nose gar.
0: Anybody a factoid on the one factoid I have is I know when I used to try, I would try to go fly fishing before it turns out that I have no coordination and cannot fly fish, but I read about how to do fly fishing and some people for Gar, they will use like yarn instead of, a and, the, and no hook um, to try to get it tangled up in the, and I quote, excellent set of chompers um, uh, that they have. So I can't confirm <laughs> that that's ever actually happened, but I read about it on the internet in like the early 2000s. So it's probably true.
1: Yeah. Well, I just wanted to note that we've picked a lot of really cool shaped fish with different evolutionary. Dynamics like gar looked like a torpedo, but now I'll let Titus talk about something more interesting.
3: <laughs> well, I, I'm just gonna. I'm. This is a childhood memory of growing up in Northwestern Wisconsin. Uh, one summer, we had, for whatever reason, in front of our neighbor's dock, uh, the the longnose gar were spawning there, and they would just jump out of the water. So imagine, you know, kind of that sailfish, um, porpoise breaching kind of thing. Um, and they just did this for like a couple of weeks and it was really you go down to the dock, they just be swimming along, jumping out of the water. It was I've never seen it again. Just one year. I think it really happened. I don't know. <laughs> um, it was really cool.
0: That is excellent. All right, well take us to your uh take us to your third and final pick here, Titus.
3: All right, you know, I I I'm gonna go wetland species, um I was gonna go juvenile yellow perch just because they're kind of a wetland all-star, but I am going to, I'm actually gonna go a little different. I'm gonna say central mud minnow uh, because it's one of my favorites. Uh, actually it's a, it's very small, not actually a minnow. So we're not talking uh, like a shiner or a fathead minnow. Uh, they're actually more closely related to the Northern pike and the muscalunge than to other fish species. Uh, even though they're just a few inches long, uh, you can look for that distinctive kind of, uh, dorsal fin really far back on their body, um, which would, we would actually see with the, uh, the long nose car as well. They've got that dorsal fin weighing back because they're like little, um, uh, kind of for central mud minnow, they're torpedoes eating plankton, but, uh, long nose like torpedoes eating fish. Um, so small. Uh, not not something you'd necessarily see a lot or know about, but I think they're they're pretty cool looking fish and and something that I've seen a lot in, in wetlands over the years.
0: I don't have a lot on Central Mud Middle, but it sounds really cool. So that's good.
3: I'll just toss in that their um
2: scientific name essentially translates to like mud shadow or mud phantom, which I just find is like super metal. That would be a great, like a great band <laughs> name.
0: That would be. That would be. <laughs> I was thinking about that with the walleye, which nobody picked. But their their genus name is kind of lame, Sander, or whatever. But their 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 specific name uh, of Vitrius. is like, yeah, much cooler. Greek god of of uh, aquaculture, whatever. Cool. Um, great. Well, then for my final pick, we're going to bring it home. So I need to explain this a little bit before I actually make the pick. And as I said lately, I've been trying to not pigeonhole myself in like you know, one way of thinking, right? Um, in that I, I feel like I've had this tunnel vision and I hadn't really opened my mind to all of the possibilities um, out there, just generally speaking, until I was riding through campus about a week or two ago. And I saw a dude holding up a flag that said birds aren't real. And I said, well, and, and so I, I saluted him. Um, and then he kept talking, which was weird. I was like, oh, I thought, and like he, you know, he had pamphlets. And and I so I just kept writing. but, but And then I, I went, Carolyn said, this is a rabbit hole. And I've gone down the rabbit and without <laughs> commenting on whether or not birds are real, what it's done is it's really open to my mind to what is real, you know, the matrix, right? Um, and, 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 or am I being too simple minded? And all of this is to say I'm picking the bull shark. Um. And and the reason I'm picking the bull shark is because um, there are unconfirmed reports that in the 1950s, somebody caught a bull shark in Lake Michigan. And I always dismiss this for a number of reasons. Um, like the bull shark could not really get here. Um, if it were to get here, it probably would not survive. There's not, and anyway, all of this, you know, they have been found as far north as Alton, Illinois. But um, I am picking the bull shark because I've been too narrow-minded in what is possible. And I think just because a fish has never, been seen here and couldn't make it here and probably wouldn't survive, doesn't mean that I should close off uh the way that my mind works. So the final pick is the bull shark. You are sure you don't want to pick walleye? Uh, walleye is also a fish. It's on my list. Uh no, I mean I I'm looking I'm yeah, I wrote it down it's bull shark. Katie, how many bull sharks are there in Lake Michigan? To my knowledge, I mean
2: again this depends like how we're defining reality. Like it could be Schrodinger's bull shark. It both exists in Lake Michigan and does not. I guess
0: I go on the does not side of things. Does not. Yeah. Yeah. You see, that's you're thinking of kind of the classic rational. But I, yeah, yeah, again,
2: maybe my brain hasn't expanded
0: enough. Just read about birds for enough time. No, thank you. Open your mind. No, open your. You. Maybe you lick a goby <laughs> and uh, and um, open your mind. Uh, Titus, you look disgusted with my pick.
3: <laughs> I, I am disgusted. You know, if you wanted a really out there pick that's actually real, uh, you could have gone with flounders. Uh, Because there are actually some flounders that have showed up uh, in the Great Lakes, Uh, you know, ballast water. They they can't uh, reproduce, but they can kind of survive.
0: I had no idea. No kidding. So there are ballast water escapees. I mean, for the flounder start off real small. So for those who know flounders, they're a, a flatfish. Um, they actually swim like upright um, in, while they're young. And then as an adult, they they settle down on the bottom and their eyes migrate to the top of their head, at least the ones that I'm familiar with. And so then they're really cre- tasty, but creepy um, uh, because they're all white on the bottom and dark on the top. Um, but they can get huge. You know, in in, in the Gulf, we would catch what we call doormat size uh, flounder, just ridiculously big. I had no idea. All right. You know what? My pick is amended. I pick the uh, flounder, which is an out there pick. Um, and I encourage you to think about the bull shark yourself, though. Uh, <laughs> great. Uh, well, this has been clearly. Carolyn is also. Dis- I'm sorry. I, I have to pick the bull shark. <laughs> There's no choice. Um but I've been doing There
1: were many choices. Let's talk about some about of the other choices we could have at named. least other choices.
0: Oh. Yeah. Alright, well in that nature we will do uh, the the uh we'll not a lighting round, but we'll run through. Name two or three other fish that was on your list. We'll go in order. Carolyn oh right, like you have room to complain, Madam Madam Mayfly. Um what <laughs> uh what else was on your list?
1: So, in addition to uh, juvenile yellow perch that um Titus mentioned and walleye that you mentioned in then this um, I was considering. If everyone else had picked salmon, I was going to pick sea lamprey so that my sea lamprey could take out all of your salmon. And I'll credit uh, Zach Feiner at Wisconsin uh, for giving me that idea.
0: Oh, so you brought that in that ringers role. too, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yes. I spoke with uh, I spoke with our AIS specialists and um, with our director, who's a fish ecologist. Uh, he got me turned on to the burbot. Uh, Titus, what? Or no, Katie was next. What else is on your list, Katie?
2: Betty. Um, I also had yellow birch. so that seems like that was a common theme. I would say though, my two that I would definitely drafted in my team are the American eel, uh, which can make it into like inland into the Great Lakes. It's definitely in Lake Ontario, but they're just super cool. And I could talk about eels all day, but then also the pirate perch, uh, which is notable for having its, essentially its anus or cloaca on its throat instead of, you know, the normal place that a fish would
0: have one. Why is its anus? What is like so it eats does it eat out of its mouth or does it eat out of its is it just the kind of, I know his mouth is in his butt and so it's just it's backward. Like what is what is uh what is Well, and place? it's
2: interesting too, because when they're first like hatch, it's similar to the flounder, that their anus starts in like the normal place, but then it migrates up to their throat as they get older. Um I'm I'm not sure of the evolutionary significance of that. Maybe Titus, you are. Um but yeah they, they do have a separate mouth too so it's not like they're eating out of the same hole um, right
0: right right but
2: it, it's interesting their species name is actually Sayanus. anus it's s-a-y-a-n-u-s that's it's an easy one to remember
0: say one more time <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry this is uh, a family show <laughs> no no i mean only barely no it is. Actually Carolyn won't make it. It's not you,
1: Katie. It's not right. you.
0: Okay. Um do they speak English in Anus? Alright, uh Titus, what else? Uh what else was on your list?
3: My list. You I, I, I came in thinking there would be like fish to pick from, so I didn't I didn't have oh, a list. I didn't, oh. I didn't know what we were doing. Uh, you know, I could have um, I could have sent I, more I, emails, I
0: suppose, but I just rely on your fine. good nature and skill. Yeah.
3: I, I can talk about fish, so that's kinda of what I do. Um, I'd say, you know, white suckers, um, kind of a, another underrated uh, fish species that are definitely important in the the ecology of the lakes, but also a really fun species because you can you can actually, you know, see them spawning in the spring. They're one of the first uh, fish species to start moving upstream um, and you can actually, you know, see them. They don- really don't care that you're there when they're uh, busy with their spawning activities. And, you know, I think any opportunity just to get people, uh, you know, give people the chance to go down to just your local waterway and see fish doing stuff is is pretty cool. Um, You know, lots of people, uh, you know, get into fish because they're anglers and, you know, that's great, but I I prefer to buy my fish usually and uh, just to look at fish. So, uh, you know, suckers are great. Let's go with a, a final food fish too. I'm gonna go with the bloater, uh, which is another sort of uh, cousin to the whitefish. It's also in the Coragonis genus. And uh, if you've ever had smoked chubs, um, that is a, a kind of a popular, historically a, a popular Great Lakes uh, commercially harvested fish. Uh, they're small, uh, smoke them up, uh, you know, skin on, and you just kind of peel the skin back and then you eat them like a a corn cob, a smoked uh, oily fish corn cob. It's it's delicious. Um, so keep uh, keep an eye out for those. And
2: I I do have to throw in one fact about that though, because in there is a restaurant I believe in Michigan that serves a Chubby Mary, which has a smoked chub in a Bloody Mary, and that's like their claim to fame. So
3: yeah. So if you're if if you're in Leland, Michigan, you're vis- you're visiting Fishtown. Uh, for their great historical uh, commercial fishing information, but while you're there, get yourself a, a chubby Mary. Uh, I've never had one, but it looks it looks good. I mean, why wouldn't you have one?
0: I mean. For those who don't have their anus in their throat, you can bring the taste of that
3: directly through the chubby Mary.
0: Carolyn, you got a factoid too.
1: I didn't have a factoid so much. I was just going to mention that um, we can even make white suckers a a food fish uh, because I was talking to someone at a grocery store in Michigan one day, uh, someone who worked behind the fish counter and said they would catch white suckers. They would blend them up, can them and use them in place of salmon. So um, there's a lot of cool stuff
3: available yeah you can uh, people will you drop a net down uh, it's like a net that sits on the bottom of the the creek you're at a bridge crossing suckers swim in there you lift it up you you fill up your buckets with suckers and then you pickle them they're good pickled i've had them that way
0: well this has actually been a really fascinating conversation um, but that's actually not the reason why we invited you on teach me about the Great Lakes this week. The reason that we invited you to teach on to teach me about the Great Lakes is to ask two questions actually, one of which I prepped you for. Um, and the first of the two questions is this. And we'll start with you, Katie. If you could have uh choose to have a great donut for breakfast or a great sandwich for lunch, but not both, which would you choose? Oh,
2: I'm going to have to go with the sandwich. Um, I just feel like there's so much more variety to get
0: there. Variety for, all right. So variety, I'm going to go and visit the department of biological sciences. And no, I assume they have a Fishman's museum in your department, or if they don't, they will one day. And I'm going to go visit this museum and I will get hungry. And, um, so I will stop for my first, uh, uh, sandwich at Tom Coombs' house where he will make me, uh, uh, <laughs> BLT from his garden, but that's not enough. A BLT is not a very filling sandwich. I need a second sandwich. Katie, where shall I go in South Bend, Indiana? to get a second sandwich
2: it's been a while since i've been there but there is a, a restaurant called the evil check uh and they have hamburgers which i'm gonna assume is a sandwich we're not going to get into that philosophical debate uh but it's actually into, they <laughs> put a layer of peanut butter on it and while that sounds super super gross it actually works i don't know why but it does
0: there we go. That's famous in West Lafayette. Um, They have this triple X diner and they sell a peanut. I mean, come on, I'm not stupid. I've never had one, but they do sell it. Uh, great. Well, I will go get the evil check or I will go to evil check and get the peanut butter burger.
3: If they still have you know, it. I might, it's not, been a, I might it's just get a year second so, BLT. You know.
0: Yeah. All right. No, there it is. All right. Titus, sandwich or donut?
3: You know, I love donuts, Um, but I'm going to go with sandwich too.
0: All right. And so when I am in, uh, you're in Manitowoc, if I remember correctly, which is home of the uh, Wisconsin Maritime Museum.
3: That uh, is. Yes. That's
0: and so when I go is. to the visit, the mis- I go to spend the night on the boat. Uh, I wake up. I have a great donut from the place that the nice woman recommended to us. And then I want to go to lunch. Where should I go to get a sandwich?
3: All right. You're going to walk out of that Maritime Museum. You're going to go up to York Street and you're going to take a left and you're going to go to Ryan's on York and you're going to get yourself a, a Cuban pork sandwich.
0: There we go. I'll be reminiscing of my time in the Tampa Bay area. I I will do it. And we'll put links to both of those in the show notes. And so the second question is this. One of our goals with this show is to try to help people realize what a, a special resource the Great Lakes is. Great Lakes are the Great Lakes, and um, and 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 so you know, and and one way to do that is to share kind of special places, I think. And so, is there a special place in the Great Lakes, um, that you would like to share with our audience? It could be like a secretly beautiful, a secret place. It can be a really beautiful place, just a place you've had fun, some place that's special to you, and and why? And and uh, Katie, we'll start with you on that one.
2: Oh. There's several that come to mind, but if I had to pick just one, I would say the Le Islands, which are on the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, um, kind of just due east of the Mackinac Bridge. Uh, And it's just an area that is so, so filled with like wetlands and different habitats. And so there's just such an amazing diversity. And the fact it's almost like, you know, all these little islands that are all separated from each other um, in a really... Really just ch-
0: cool place to chill for the summer. Very cool. Laysha Islands on the UP. Headed there. The second glove, as Carolyn calls it. Um, great. Titus, how about you?
3: All right. I would uh, I would invite people to visit Rock Island, uh, which is at, uh, you go to the end of Door County. You take a ferry to Washington Island. You drive across Washington Island. You get on a second smaller ferry and you go to Rock Island. It is a... Uh, the entire island's a state park. There are no vehicles there. You need to just take all your stuff with you and uh, you know spend a week there. You're out at the the right in Lake Michigan. It's an amazing spot.
0: That is amazing. Anytime you got to take a second ferry, that's the key, is that second ferry. Like, one ferry is good, two ferries. Uh, excellent. Uh, Katie, if people want to find out more about Fishmas or the work that you do, where can they go and, and find that information?
2: Yeah, so they can check out uh, my Twitter page, which is at, at the handle at dr catfish and that's catfish with a k and the doctor is hopefully soon
0: <laughs> very soon very soon although really it's just a degree um the, like you you're a doctor in in spirit soon to be in name um and titus if people want to find out more about the work that you do where can they go
3: uh look me up at uh wisconsin sea grant but on twitter uh i am at dr fish sg
0: sg for c grant i assume
3: we're super yeah. great
0: we're <laughs> super great. Uh, excellent. Well, uh, Katie O'Reilly, doctoral candidate uh, the Department of Biological Sciences at Notre Dame University, and uh, Titus Seilheimer, a fisheries specialist at Wisconsin Sea Grant. Thanks so much to both of you for coming on and teaching us all about the Great Lakes. Well, another draft in the books, Carolyn, and I'll be honest, I'm pretty sure I won again.
1: Well, I don't think that you won, but it doesn't really matter what I think. That was a really fun draft, though. That was a good time. It's a nice way to end the year.
0: Good people. I agree. I agree. Um, And so then a little bit of business. Lakey nominations are closed. But tune in the next episode after this one will be the Lakeys. And uh, Lord willing and the creek don't rise. That'll happen in December. But sometimes the creek does rise. So we will see. Um, But if not, it'll be in January because we're kicking it during our winter holiday. But, uh, you know, stay tuned to the feed and, of course, uh, Twitter and what have you. And um, we'll we'll let you know when it's out there. All right. Take it away, Carolyn.
1: (coughs) Teach Me About the Great Lakes is brought to you by the fine people at Illinois-Indiana Sea Grant. We encourage you to check out the great work we do at iicgrant.org and at I-L-I-N-C grant on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media. Teach Me About the Great Lakes is produced by Hope Charters, who did not make that joke, I bet, Carolyn Foley, Megan Gunn and Rini Miles. Ethan Chitty is our associate producer and fixer. Our super fun podcast artwork is by Joel Davenport. The show is edited by the awesome Quinn Rose, and I encourage you to check her work out at aspiringrobot.com. If you have a question or comment about the show, please email it to teachmeaboutthegreatlakes at gmail.com or leave a message on our hotline at 765-496-IISG. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Teach Great Lakes. Thanks for listening. Hope you all have a nice holiday season and keep grading those lakes. <laughs>